Finally! Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to this first episode of the Mexican Wave podcast. And I'm sorry for not coming in with the exuberant excitement that um, usually comes with these intros. You know, people just kind of screaming at you to grab your attention and, and talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about. But um, this has been a long time coming, and I'm really glad that you're hopefully listening to this while while giving me your undivided attention, or at least half of it, you know, podcast listening could be a, a bit passive, I know that, but uh, I'll try to keep you uh, first and foremost awake, and I'll try to keep you engaged. Quite frankly, I think one of the reasons why I'm not exuberant, I'm not screaming at you, I'm not overly joyous, is because I'm recording this about 20 hours after Mexico was absolutely killed in Santa Clara by Chile, which I'm sure you've heard about, 7-0. Uh, in the worst competitive loss, worst loss for Mexico in a in an official tournament ever. Uh, there is a a huge, huge part of of the Mexican fan base uh, that uh, have not even processed this yet. You know, it's still very raw. It's still very visceral. And I think the fan part of me. Obviously, as a as a Mexican national team fan, uh, is obvi- you know is, is very upset. You're asking questions. Um, you're a little bit more visceral. You're a little bit more, I guess, self-deprecating as Mexican people we tend to be. Uh, and then the journalist part of me is 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 asking questions that pertain to what what can Mexico do. You know what? What? What is the future of this Mexican national team? What is the future of Juan Carlos Osorio as the as the manager of this team? What is the future of several of the players that we saw yesterday in Santa Clara? Just absolutely. I mean, I I don't want to say that they didn't care about this loss. I think it's fairly obvious that they did care, but they were just shell shocked and they were destroyed after what do you want to call it? The third goal. Uh, they came out from halftime. And there was still a sliver of hope. They were completely outplayed in the first half, obviously, but it wasn't it wasn't a massacre like the second half was. And um, and after that third goal, I think eighty percent of that team just completely lost it. And that energy was obviously translated to the stands, and that's something that we'll get to as well. Um, you know, I'm of the opinion again, the fan fan part of me. Is, is is talking right now that you don't pay two hundred and fifty three hundred dollars for a ticket to go and um, and just leave after the sixtieth minute, no matter what the score is, or and maybe this is just me, but you don't go and and yell and boo and cheer against your team, even if you are supremely unhappy at what you're seeing. Uh, but even then, after that first goal, I think outside of Pancho Villa's army, uh, those 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 people wearing those green jerseys were were deathly silent, and that is a that is a perfect example of what Mexican fans think about their team when things are going wrong. I think. A lot of Mexican fans are fair weather fans, and you might not want to hear this, you know, if you're a Mexican fan. If you wear that jersey proudly, and if you are 
just exuberant anytime Chicharito scores a goal or, or Memo Ochoa or Talavera makes a great save or every time you see Captain Rafa Marquez or Andres Guardado trot out onto the pitch. You know, you may think that you're you're a great fan, and, and maybe you are. Maybe the person listening to this podcast is a fantastic Mexican national team fan or whatever national team you root for. But I think the people, the group of people who follow Del Tri along in this Copa America Centenario, a lot of the people, not all of them, are not that type of fan. And that was clearly apparent. And I'm not even going to get into the puto chant because that is – I'm working on a really hopefully good exercise uh, for the next episode of this podcast. I'm going to ask you guys to kind of give me your takes, give me your opinions on what you think is going on with this chant, whether you want to stop it, if you do, how you want to stop it, if you don't, why you don't want to stop it, what your thoughts are on that particular chant, that particular tradition that Mexican fans have now, well, pretty much employed for the last decade. You know, uh, I remember 05, maybe, 05, 06 in Guadalajara. I attended uh, an Atlas game at the Estadio Jalisco, and that's the first time I ever heard it. And, uh, you know, without getting too much into it, I'll admit to you, I was, I think I was 19 at the time, 19, 20 years old. I laughed. I chuckled. I thought it was funny. I, you know, I wasn't completely offended by fifty thousand people maybe yelling a uh, a gay slur, but um, but my thoughts have evolved on the matter. They have for years now. I think a lot of people believe or think that we're all kind of getting on this hype train the last few months because FIFA is threatening sanctions, is threatening to find the, the, the Mexican Federation, I can tell you without a tinge of irony, 100% honestly, that I have been against this chant for years now. Um, it is definitely a great opportunity to kind of jump on and talk a little bit about it now that the, the spotlight is, is shining so brightly on whether it should be said or not. But uh, again... We'll, we'll, we'll shelve that one for the second episode, and right now we'll just get into what happened in Santa Clara. And we won't just look at the 90 minutes against Chile. Um, I think after the game, when Juan Carlos Osorio was in his press conference, the, one of the first things that he said was that this was an accident. You know, that, that, that saga, and that's a, a, very, a very good phrase that you usually hear, kind of those cliched phrases that you hear in Spanish, accidente del fútbol. Which means, you know, this is this is this was just a one-off thing. This doesn't happen. This is this is an outlier, and it definitely is. It's definitely an outlier. I think right after the game, you don't want to hear that, uh, especially from the national team manager. But he was right. It was an outlier. Fue un accidente del fútbol. And um, I thought Osorio was very sobering in his comments after the game. I thought he was very responsible in declaring that. Um, he had gotten his tactics wrong, that he had been completely responsible for the loss, or maybe not completely responsible because there were some quotes that alluded to the responsibility that the players quite obviously have. You know, Osorio is not out there playing. He does have a lot of responsibility, a lot of blame on his plate because of what he did during this Copa America. The lack of respect that I believe he displayed against the opposition and 
to his employers, to his players, quite frankly, and to the fans. I am all for rotating players during friendlies. When there's nothing on the line, there's nothing at stake. You're preparing for a major tournament. That Chile game in San Diego, that Paraguay game, that's when you make your experiments. That's when you think about what's going to happen for that official tournament. But when you get into the actual tournament, when you are playing against Uruguay and Jamaica and Venezuela and Chile in an official tournament, in a tournament which, quite frankly, represented one of the best opportunities that Mexico has ever had to make a statement internationally, it's not... It's not nearly as cute or as methodic or as quirky as you might think to start three different goalkeepers in three group stage matches. I mean, that is just, that is just unheard of. Everybody knows that even if you have three first choice goalkeepers, there is an innate sense of communication and chemistry that these goalkeepers need to develop with their back lines. Of course, to Osorio, this means nothing because he didn't repeat a back line during this tournament. He tinkered and he toiled with his lineups for all four games, and it worked for the first two games. I think he got a pass during that third game because... He had gotten his ticket to the quarterfinals after the first two games, as we mentioned, after he beat Uruguay and, and he beat Jamaica. And if, he could, and if he would have even been honest and said, you know what, I wanted to rest some of my presumptive starters for Chile, and this is why you saw this kind of secondary lineup against Venezuela, you know, and again, even I would have apologized for that game and for that result. One one against Venezuela. Venezuela put put in a hell of a tournament, but I think ninety percent of the time, ninety five percent of the time, you can expect Mexico to beat Venezuela and to come away with a one one draw. To come away with a one one draw because Decatito Corona absolutely saved your rear end with a fantastic play is something to think about. And I don't think that Juan Carlos Osorio, I think his hubris was just absolutely apparent. And I think that what happened in Santa Clara is a reflection of a guy who thinks he is the smartest guy in the room. And whenever you get the smartest guy in the room, you can have some really great conversations with that guy. Because Osorio, quite frankly, he's a charming fella. And I joke about this, but he's the type of guy that if you ask, you know, hey, what's your name, bud? He's going to give you a 10-minute answer for whatever reason, but he's just going to give you a 10-minute answer. Well, you know what? That's a long story, Eric. Uh, turns out my family, which is from the southern part of Colombia, really enjoyed the work of blah, blah, and he'll just go off on a rant. But even when you've got a guy that is just overtly philosophical about his answers and he just has a uniquely pleasing way of communicating talking about whatever it is 
that he wants to talk about. I, I have a feeling that he's a very worldly guy. He's lived in England. He's lived in the United States, in Colombia, in Brazil, Mexico now. He seems like a very, very bright guy. But I really question why he feels he needs to innovate and he needs to consistently prove that he's worthy of this job every 90 minutes. I have no idea why Memo Ochoa, Alfredo Talavera, and Jose de Jesus Corona all saw minutes during that Copa America. You know, I think that's just, that's just disrespectful, to be fair. Disrespectful to the opposition. I'm going to test out this second goalkeeper, this potential third goalkeeper out on you. Because I want to give him a chance to play. I think you fight for your spot in training. And I think that when, especially you're a goalkeeper, you have a mountain to climb if you are not that first choice guy. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a quarterback controversy in, in football. It's just so difficult to get onto the pitch and to start. And Juan Carlos Osorio was just giving away these starts. Like, like you know, imagine what would happen if your favorite NFL team, if you're an NFL fan or, or a college football fan even, if your coach just decided that, you know, I'm a Chargers fan, um, Mike McCord decides he's going to bench Phillip Rivers for a week four game against the Broncos and trot out the second string quarterback, the third string quarterback. Kellen Clemens is going to start for the Chargers. That is just, I mean, you would not accept that. LeBron James is going to sit on the bench because Tyron Lue wants to see what that lineup looks like without LeBron in game three of the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, that is just unheard of. That just doesn't happen. And there's a reason why that doesn't happen. And I think everybody was okay with it when it came down to Juan Carlos Osorio making changes to the Mexican lineup because the team was winning and the team looked fairly good. And the reason why the team looked fairly good is because this is, quite frankly, the best generation of Mexican football players, soccer players, that this country has had since the mid-90s. Maybe ever. And yet, Juan Carlos Osorio destroyed any possibility of Mexico making that long-awaited international statement by putting together a lineup in the quarterfinals against Chile that I would probably not have been comfortable with, comfortable with even in a friendly. Okay? You saw Jesus Dueñas, a perfectly capable player, but he's not Rafa Marquez, he's not Andres Guardado, he's not Hector Herrera, start as the pivot in that Mexican system, in that Mexican midfield. They were asking him to do things that probably no manager has ever asked him to do during his entire career, and he floundered. And there's no reason to suspect that he wouldn't have floundered. He wouldn't have done any more poorly than he did. Okay? Leaving Rafa Marquez on the bench, I don't care if he traveled 8,000 miles to meet his baby boy. He flew down to Guadalajara. He asked permission to do this, by the way. He went down there, saw his son being born, flew back. Okay, he's 37 years old and maybe jet lag 24 to 36 hours before a quarterfinal game is not the best recipe um, for your captain. 
But you start that guy because you need Rafa Marquez. And I've slowly and painfully come to that conclusion. All this boils down to the big question, which is what, what's next? What happens next? Do you keep Juan Carlos Osorio? Well, I think that any team, any self-respecting international team that loses 7-0 in an official tournament game when you were not the clear favorite to win, but you were one of the candidates. I mean, Mexico was a sexy dark horse pick. Let's just leave it at that. Let's not put on that undeserved cap of favoritism that sometimes Mexican press, Mexican fans, sometimes even Mexican players and federation members unfairly put on. Mexico is not one of the best teams in the world, usually. But during this Copa America Centenario, they had a very great opportunity to win or to at least make a statement and say, hey, we are a team that is absolutely growing. You need to watch out for us in the future because we are getting better. This 7 nothing result throws a wrench into that particular statement, into that preceding statement. I thought yesterday that the best course of action, the most logical course of action, was to fire Juan Carlos Osorio. I slept on it. I looked at a lot of... Um, a lot of takes, a lot of articles. Um, I thought about that on my own. And I've come to the conclusion today that they still need to fire Juan Carlos Osorio. And you can disagree if you want, and I will gladly engage you on this. They need to fire Juan Carlos Osorio because he was not the Federation's first choice as manager, and he was not a guy that they even had on the radar initially, despite the fact that they want to tell you that Juan Carlos Osorio was always the guy. We know that that's not true. We know that they went after Marcelo Bielsa, Jorge Sampaoli, Jurgen Klopp. They might have even after gone after Jose Antonio Camacho, the former Real Madrid manager. You know, they might have, and this is true, they might have asked Ricardo Ferretti to stay permanently as the Mexican team nas national team manager. And he declined, which is okay because, quite frankly, why should he? Why should he get that hot seat when he has a really fantastic job in Monterey with one of the um, most generous <laughs> most generous front offices that I have ever seen and has the opportunity to build a super team, a super squad, every 6 or 12 months? You can stay over there, Tuca. You can stay in Monterey. That's fine. Definitely. Why would you want this job? Especially when you look at what happens when something like this happens. A 7-0 loss in Santa Clara. Juan Carlos Osorio, as I mentioned, is a very smart guy. And he's a very good manager. But one of the biggest, biggest issues with hiring Juan Carlos Osorio is that he doesn't have a particular system in place. So... At a first glance, that might be perfect for a team like Mexico that you know apparently does not have a set system of its own. Mexico is not a perennial a perennial four four two team, not a perennial four three three team, not a five three two team, not a three four three team. It doesn't have a particular system or strategy that it is it has developed or that dominates Mexican club football, and it hasn't really happened um, for the last 20 years or so. We've had alternating 
La Volpista managers and alternating La Puentista managers. We've had guys like Miguel Herrera and Ricardo La Volpe who prefer a 5-3-2. We've had guys like Manuel, Manuel La Puente, Javier Aguirre, Jose Manuel de la Torre, who prefer a 4-4-2. And we get this sort of re-education and this re-adaptation every two or three years. Players are just expected to just kind of lock into that new system because a new manager has completely different ideas from his predecessor. So Juan Carlos Osorio is a guy who can easily give you a 3-4-3-1 game and then go back to the board and say, you know what, we're going to edit the system to uh, a 4-4-2. So for a team like Mexico, at a first glance, that might seem okay. I contend that it is not okay. I contend that Mexico needs to pick a lane. Just pick a lane. You want to be a 4-4-2 team, let's, be, let, let's become a 4-4-2 team. The best teams in the world have developed systems that have permeated for decades. The Dutch have done this. The Germans have done this. The Spaniards have done this. You combine a very good system with a very good set of players, and you've got yourself a team that will contend for everything. If you've at least got a system that permeates through the decades, you can develop a certain type of player. You don't need to develop a Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo type player every generation. You can be very, very decent. But Mexico has not even been able to do that because the guys running the show over at the FMF respond directly to what goes on with TV ratings, with income, and with what their partners in the United States want to do with the team. Okay? Let's make no mistake about this. Some, Soccer United Marketing, Televisa, TV Azteca, Univision, which is obviously a part of, of Televisa and has other, other parts, uh, you know, has other owners. They're the ones calling the shots. Okay? They are the ones calling the shots. And they are throwing buckets of water whenever some, you know, whenever a fire rages on, whenever Mexico is close to staying out of the uh, out of the World Cup, for instance, or when somebody goes crazy in an airport in Philadelphia and punches a news reporter, punches a uh, a play by play announcer, or when a team is thrown out of the Copa America because they lost seven nil. Okay, so I'm, I'm seemingly giving. I'm seemingly saying that Juan Carlos Osorio should stay because we need to pick a lane. Well, the problem with that is that Juan Carlos Osorio is not going to pick a lane. He's going to continue that rotation. He's going to continue playing players out of position a la Jurgen Klinsmann. He's going to continue rotating goalkeepers and rotating starting players or presumptive starting players in official tournaments. I don't think that he is going to learn his lesson. So why should Mexico throw away a fantastic group, a fantastic generation of players on the Juan Carlos Osorio philosophy? And the players aren't going to get away with what they did yesterday as well. I mean, you know what they did. They, they quit, okay? And there are a lot of players on that team that should at least stay away from the national team, in my opinion, for about three or four months. You know, next group of games, whether it's the, um, whether it's the, the, the final part of the second round of qualifying, whether it's the first couple of games of the Hex, I don't know. 
Maybe just some friendly games. Maybe just some FIFA dates. But there are a few guys who need to kind of reevaluate and uh, think about whether they want to play for the national team or not. Some of the guys that were kept out of this tournament maybe should come back. Maybe. I'm not saying that you needed Carlos Vela or you needed Giovanni Dos Santos yesterday. Jonathan Dos Santos, for that instance. Not saying that. But I am saying that a few of the players that were called up are not national team material. And that, again, is on Juan Carlos Osorio. Jesus Dueñas. Gulit Peña. Those, I mean, just those two names. Just those two names. What are they doing in a Mexico national team jersey? And I ask this. I ask this because that just seems to be the general consensus. Okay, And even if I didn't have the general consensus on my side, I would still think this. Because I am one of those guys who, me monto en mi macho. My opinions are pretty strong, and it takes a very, very, very long discussion, or a very long series of discussions, to kind of get me off an idea. Or get me off an opinion, or a take. And uh, I don't think I'm being particular, particularly controversial when I say that Jesus Dueñas and Guli Peña have no business right now being in a Mexican national team jersey. So, what happens next? I think that the FMF is going to keep Osorio on. I think that's a mistake. I think that he should be fired or he should quit. He's not going to quit because this is the opportunity of a lifetime for him. Okay, he's trying to parlay this into a job with Colombia's national team during the next World Cup cycle. Well, the honeymoon's over. The honeymoon's over for Juan Carlos Osorio. And he needs to really, really reevaluate what he's doing as a manager, as a national team manager, and figure that out quickly. Otherwise, Mexico is going to continue in this just really weird cycle of we're a good team, we're a bad team. We're a good team, we're a bad team. We're top five in the world. No, we're not. Chicharito is world class. Um, wait. Hector Herrera is worth 25 million euros. Is he? Tecatito Corona is the next Lionel. Okay, stop. We get two carried away. This is a big, big wake-up call. Not just for the FMF. Not just for the players. Not just for Osorio, but also the fans. It is a wake-up call, and it is long overdue. The dirty little secret as to why Osorio won't be fired is pretty... Pretty simple when you think about it. We've already suffered as a footballing nation, as a group of fans, as a um, football organization. We've already suffered a pretty big humiliation in Santa Clara. 7-0 against Chile. The sting kind of lessens when you think about Chile being the defending Copa America champions, having several world-class players in their ranking in, in their ranks. But uh, it's still 7-0. It's still the worst competitive competitive loss for Mexico in their history. But um, the sting will wear off for that. The jokes will continue for a while. The takes will continue on the nightly shows. But the sting will wear off for a while. And after that happens, I really don't expect anybody from the FMF to just come out and say a week or two after the game, hey, this was horrible. Let's reopen this. Let's tear open this scab and pick at this wound and say Juan Carlos Osorio is not the right guy for this job. 
because that would mean that they have failed. The guys at the FMF have failed. They have selected a coach who is not apt for this job, and they need to make another change. And remember, this is a team that three years ago was on Chapo de la Torre. Then it was Vucetic. Then it was Miguel Herrera. Now it's Juan Carlos Osorio. So you're looking at a potentially fifth manager <laughs> in a three-year non-cycle. World Cup cycles are four years. So that's just, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's too crazy to even think about. So they need to show some measure of continu- continuity. And they need to show some measure that they know what they're doing over there. Even though they clearly have shown time and again that they don't. And the bar is set pretty low for Osodio when you think about it. Okay. He needs to get to a quarterfinal game in a World Cup to be an unabashed success. There's still some people clamoring for Miguel Herrera. He didn't get the job done. Heck, there are some people clamoring for Ricardo Lavolpe. I understand why some of those people are clamoring for Lavolpe, his style of play. But he didn't get the job done. He got beaten by Argentina. Miguel Herrera got beaten by the Netherlands. Javier Aguirre got beaten by the United States and Argentina. All of those guys severely questioned at some point during their national team tenure. But we have short memories. I heard more than one person talk about how they wanted Ricardo Lavolpe back. The guy has won one league title since he started coaching in 1983. But he's the solution. Okay. Maybe jokingly, but I heard more than one person clamor for Hugo Sanchez. And outside of a very good run with Pumas, more than a decade ago, he's never won a damn thing. Couldn't even win the Gold Cup. The lowest possible bar for a national team manager. So what does this mean now for Mexico? It means that you're going to still see Juan Carlos Osorio on those sidelines and hopefully... He will be able to turn the tide quickly. He will be able to steer you into the hex without any issue, which he's already done. And hopefully steer Mexico into the next World Cup without any issue. Um, What Mexico does at the Confederations Cup, to be fair, is pretty relevant. I mean, the Confederations Cup is something that a lot of Mexican fans hang their hat on when they think about the 1999 team. But you faced a B team in the final. That was a U23 Brazilian team. Um, nowhere to go but up, right? <clears throat> Mexico is going to suffer, uh, in my opinion, when we get to the hex. Teams have figured out how to play Mexico. Once that initial aura of confidence once that swagger is gone and we've seen that it can go fairly quickly first 45 minutes in Santa Clara for instance then Mexico is usually in trouble but um, 
Yeah. That's that's Osodia's problem. All right, we'll cut it short here for today. First episode of the Mexican Wave. I encourage you to tweet me at the Wave at Eric Gomez eighty six. Uh, let me know what you thought of the podcast. Um, questions, comments, takes, opinions. I will open it up for the second episode when we get to the much anticipated, at least by my, <laughs> at least by myself, the much anticipated puto discussion. We will dedicate an entire episode to that. If you want to sponsor the show, you can do that very, very cheaply, and I'll let you know how. Um, in the description for this episode, it will be available on SoundCloud initially, and hopefully after that, Stitcher, iTunes, and the rest. This has been great. I've been very, very blessed to be able to amass a very respectable following on Twitter. I mean, 3,000 people might not seem like a lot to you. I don't care. To be fair, I'm very happy about it. And hopefully this podcast is able to reach more than 3,000 people. Um, We will do this on a regular basis, twice a week. And um, thank you so much for listening to this initial episode of The Mexican Wave. I will see you later this week. My name is Eric Gomez. This has been The Mexican Wave.